Well, if you've been with us for the last few years at all, we have traditionally on Super Bowl Sunday had a service we call Football Sunday, and we've joined around the states with some other churches that have put it together and couldn't do that this year. They canceled pretty last minute and said they they couldn't put together what they were going to, so we shifted to a very unique thing of Winterfest, but we still said, hey, we want you because of the joy of the season to wear your favorite team's jersey, and it can be football or something else, so many of you did, and you can see here I wore my Lions garb. Sadly, I, I debated between wearing a jersey and my other shirt that says, just one before I die. And the saddest part is it's my second time I've had that shirt because I had to buy a new one because the first one wore out. Isn't that just sad on its own? Like, I've had to go through two. I'm, I'm counting how many I'll have to go through before it actually accomplishes something. I even found myself today going, I want to root for Matt Stafford because he was a lion. Uh, and, and in fact, I don't know if you know this too, but there, there's a whole organization that put out a thing called the Detroit Rams, and they came up with a whole new logo that have it together, and shirts are selling like crazy. We had somebody here with one already, but I'm, I'm fearful if I root for him, they'll lose. Do any of you have that sense? Like, oh no, I'm afraid if I root for him, they'll lose. So, see, so I'm saying I'm rooting for the Bengals, but really I'm not, because I'm just scared of what will happen. So we're, we're glad you're with us. We have some fun things for after the service too. I want to just give us a picture, though, as we explore Winterfest, which really engages in what the Super Bowl is as well as one activity, but a much broader piece, and want you to consider with me, I'm kind of setting up for us these three weeks where we're going. And so I want you just to consider Winterfest, and and we know because we live in Michigan, right? When winter starts, this is what it's like to us. We get to winter like, oh... I love the seasons, and you get to Christmas, and you hope it snows, and you hope it's pretty and wonderful, and then by February, we're kind of more like this, and it feels like this, doesn't it, oftentimes? I mean, we get to the, the, what I call the blahs of winter, and if you live in Michigan, it's just a whole other thing, which we all do, obviously. One of the ironies I always find is that people here are surprised that the weather's bad. It's still winter. I don't know why it's still winter. How long have you lived here? My whole life. Has it not always been this way? I know, but I think it's going to change. It's like rooting for the lions. You think something different is going to happen. And then we have things that nobody else has. Have you been aware of this? So if you drive through Michigan and you head down to Indiana and it's in the wintertime, you will notice there's a certain quality of road uh, plowing. And then you hit Indiana, it's like, do they even, are they using shovels? Like what happened here? They don't know what to do. You get to other states and if it snows, they, they don't even know how to drive. I mean, it's kind of funny when you get to it. If you've ever been to San Diego, if it rains, they freak out. Oh, no, it's raining. What's my car going to do? And like, get out of the way. (laughs) Nothing stops me. I mean, we just have a different grit and a different way. And and we live differently, don't we? I mean, do you know anybody else that takes vitamin D to get through the winter? There's not enough sunshine. You really should take it. And then on top of it, if winter didn't seem long enough already, think of the last two years. It's like we live in Narnia and, and winter never ends. And Christmas never comes. It kind of feels like it's been perpetual. And so for you and I, we can get to winter and say, I want a winter fest just to cope to get through. I have a disdain for winter. We often do, don't we? I mean, I've never heard people complain more about something than we do about winter. And even people who don't live here complain about it. And I'm always amazed. People in warm climates always call me, oh, you're living good in Antarctica? So I wait till summer and call them, hey, how's it going in the death of fire right now? Because... They can't go outside because it's warm, but we live in this place where it's just, how am I going to get through? I have a disdain. And our intention in these three weeks is really to help you actually embrace the winter, embrace what it means and the season. And with that, I want to just begin, this is 
The first time scripture ever mentions the seasons, it happens right after Noah, in case you don't know the story of Noah, this flood that happens, and all of the earth is, is kind of washed clean. It's a rebirth, if you will. And right after this, it describes for the first time, doesn't mean it happened before or didn't, but this is how God describes the very act of seasons. He says, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. In other words, God actually made all of the seasons. This stuff that we get into and can look so difficult at, God intended and made. And I want to be very clear, all of it. He, he made winter. You know when God made the creation, you know what it says after every act of creation? And it was good. Not like good or great. It means good as an amazing and a wonderful quality. So if indeed winter is meant to be something we embrace and engage in together, what does that mean and what does it look like? And I want you to think about it in terms of the very rhythms of the year that God has given us these ways to live throughout all of the year. And he does this with his own people, with Israel, in what we call the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament. Now when God's helping Israel to kind of find their way, he sets a rhythm for their year to consider all of the seasons and a way to be engaged in all of them. And this is what it says in the rules, kind of the laws about it, the ways, the guides to help them. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are the appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. Now, I want to come back to the festivals and all that it means, but I, I want us to get the end picture of this, of why God does what he does these different times of year and what it means. He calls them sacred assemblies. And I want to be clear for us, kind of give us an image of what that looks like, because when I hear sacred assembly, it sounds like something that will be stuffy and very kind of, I got to be acting in a certain way, and it's really not fun. But sacred, when God speaks of it in Scripture, in assemblies, this idea of the community, there's something sacred happening, means it's something transcendent, something wonderful, something otherworldly, something profound happens when we're together. And God's crafted ways in different seasons for us specifically to be together. So to give you a picture of sacred assembly, I asked the, our, uh, our vocalist to come out here for just a minute because it's an image that God uses and it's used through scripture to help understand what happens when we come together communally that's bigger than when we're alone. And he often uses song as a metaphor. So Nate, Nate's gonna sing for us a chorus on his own, just by himself, and we're gonna listen. You're worthy of it all You're worthy of it all For from you are all things, and to you are all things, you deserve the glory. And see, it's a picture of us, let's just say it's even of us singing to God, us being present with him. And there's something wonderful when you're alone, but when you're together, the scripture uses words like harmony to describe what happens when we all participate, that something even more special and sacred happens. So we're going to sing with him. Kind of the idea of us all in harmony together of this sacred gathering. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you. 
to you are all things you deserve the glory you are worthy of it all you are worthy of it all for from you are all tell you that when you get to participate in it, it suddenly changes. And you're participating together. There's something bigger than is alone. Now, it's interesting. There was a, a type of music written called Madrigal where the whole purpose was to sing together facing each other. And each one had a part in what they did. And it had created something beautiful as it interacted back and forth counter, counterpuntally. And the picture we have of a sacred assembly is people coming together and something through their connection and their harmony and their engagement in life together that's bigger than when we're alone. I just didn't want to miss, as we look at kind of enjoying the season we're in and the rhythm of it, one of the major things Scripture gives us is there's something that happens when we're together that doesn't happen alone. So what I want you to consider as we look at these rhythms and we look at these festivals and look at what God might say to us today is that there's something about us being together in different seasons that is powerful and profound. So let me take it back to that he speaks to them about these festivals. Now, in, in case you don't know as well, and I'm just going to do a brief overview of the festivals. One of the unique things that Israel had was they were they were told by God to give a tenth of their resources to the priest, to the temple. So that was one tenth. They were told to give a second tenth for their parties, for their festivals. So, so what I want you to be really clear on is, guess what? God said, I want you to party together and have meaningful times. You're giving a lot so we can have some great parties. Tell me that's not cool already. Isn't that amazing? Like, this isn't, we tend to think of Israel when we hear things that God brings people together for us, it's kind of, oh, you can't have fun, and it's got to be really, it's almost like you grunt spirituality, like, oh, I have to do this, I don't want to do this, I want to do something else. Not the way of God. What he's saying is the things with him and of him are better than anything else. Let's have fun. And so I want you to have the picture that Israel had a high priority of these rhythms of their year. I want to show you theirs, and I want to give you some other ideas, and then I want us to consider what might that mean for this season and the rhythms of our year. So as we look at the festivals he ended up talking about, I'm just going to give you an overview. The first one and the centerpiece of it is Sabbath. He told Israel, in the rhythm of your year, every week, I want you to take a day and I want you to connect with each other and connect with me in a way you don't. In essence, I want you to know that you're loved for who you are and not what you do. I mean, everybody from slave to those with the most, had everything set aside and all seen of great infinite value on that day. Isn't that amazing and doesn't that sound amazing just on its own? Now, that's not what we're talking about today, but you'd all venture well just to consider, do you even think about having a Sabbath and any kind of rest? And here would be my challenge on it because it is, it's one of the weird oxymorons of our, of our current life. You and I live in a time that we've never had more at our disposal to help us be efficient, effective, and maximize. We've never had more tools to make life better and easier. We've never had more things that would make life 
just work for us without much effort. And guess what? We've never been more tired, never rested less, and never felt like we could stop like we never can today. Does that strike you as odd just a little bit? It should. I just want us to consider, even though we're not going to that, is we don't even know how to have some kind of rhythm of rest every week to simply enjoy relationships and enjoy God, let alone get into bigger phases of seasons. So it's where Israel built, and it's one of the things I would say we've just lost is the beauty of it. Let me take you through the rest of the festivals, and there are two sets of them. There's spring and there's fall. And I want you to see when God gave them festivals, they were tied to different things. Some were tied to his intervention in the world. Some of them were tied to the very agricultural life. In other words, they're tied to seasons. So they had a cycle of them through the year. So the first one that's mentioned in Leviticus is the Passover. You don't have to know all of Israel's history to understand this. The Passover is the event that happens supernaturally where God passes over all of Israel's people when they're in bondage of slavery for 400 years and all the firstborns are spared, but the Egyptians and all the animals are not if they didn't follow some clear things of sacrifice that God had. So Passover is a reminder, and they're to celebrate every year, how God freed them from their bondage for centuries. There's this rhythm of remember. Unleavened bread is a part of that. It's connected to it the next day, and it just speaks of how God provided for them when they were in a hurry. It's another picture. Then we get to first fruits and weeks, and these are actually tied much more to their agricultural life. First fruits was the feast that they celebrated that there'd been some initial harvest and they gave from the first of that harvest to say, God, we trust you for your provision. By the way, for them giving first fruits meant they gave trusting the rest would come, not they gave a small section of what they currently had. So they really were trusting. Then five weeks later, they have the Feast of Weeks, which is the final harvest festival. So I want you to get the picture. This is moving through their seasons, and each season they have a rhythm to how they remember and celebrate and give thanks and recognize. And by the way, every season has community together, being the sacredness of what happens when they are together. Then we move to the fall, and we, we move to another set of festivals, uh, and these relate much more to the beginning of what they'd call their religious year, which is very simply, they have a feast of trumpets and it's a time the trumpet is blown and they're reminded to do an internal review, kind of a time of confession and contrition where they look back at how their year has been and how they've lived and that moves them to the day, atonement, day of atonement when they celebrate God's provision to free them from their sin and then booths is a reminder. And by the way, the fall is an entire reminder of how they're to rest because the harvest is done and they've seeded everything. They are waiting basically. This is a time of stepping back that God moves. The Feast of Booth, which is their final one, is this feast where they put all these little, basically, tents, and they remember that God dwelled in the middle of them during the wilderness. So what they're doing is they're building their lives around God just to be present and with him. By the way, that's a sacred assembly. That's building life around him and loving being in community around him. So I want you just to get a picture. Israel had this rhythm, and then what happens is as God does more things, they add to the... They basically add to the list. So we know Hanukkah. We all are familiar with it. It's something that happened after the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and Israel adds another feast. But what I want you to get most from it is God taught them to have seasons that connected both to their normal day-to-day -day activity, like the Sabbath and like even the feasts of ingathering, the feasts of what they do in their society, and then these very particular ones that pictured who he was and what he'd done. 
By the way, no extra charge, but I'll just show you this briefly. These are all fulfilled in Jesus' first coming. The Passover is fulfilled in Jesus being the lamb that's offered for our, for our lives. Unleavened bread is the picture of Jesus being without sin. Leaven is a picture of dough and the picture of the sourness of dough that rises and was equated with sin in life. He's the one without sin. First fruits is the very picture of Jesus being the first one to rise from the dead. And it's not meant to be alone. It means all of us can be resurrected in him. And weeks is when the Holy Spirit fills all the earlier believers as a first sign of harvest that God wants to redeem and change the world. Come on, that's pretty cool, isn't it? So we're not gonna go further. These ones, I believe, relate to Jesus' second coming, but we don't need to do that today. I just wanted you to have a picture that sometimes these things that seem like they're wrote or done in routine, we miss the meaning of them all. Now just consider with me for a minute that you and I have seasons too, don't we? Every one of us have rhythms to how we do life. I mean, if any of you are raising kids in school age, I guarantee you build around the school calendar because we all do in those eras. When you do, you take your vacations when kids take vacations. So you probably are already preparing or have for spring break because that's what you do when you're in that season. And then if kids go on to college and you still want to do it, you then do it a little bit earlier in March. And then when they're not, you decide, I can actually not have to spend a million dollars to go away on vacation because I don't have to tailor to their times of year. And then you go and you do things differently, but you build around when people are in school and not. In this area, guess what else we build around? We build around summer. I mean, oh my goodness, it's like you all were cooped up all winter thinking, I don't know what to do, I'm gonna burst. And suddenly we run out because we have to soak up every ounce of sun and every ounce of water and every ounce we can get in the little bit of time we have. That's how we see the season, isn't it? And we have them all sorts of places. We have them in our own simple culture. If you just look at the holidays we have from Memorial Day to July 4th to Labor Day to Thanksgiving and Christmas, we funnel around these times and rhythms of our seasons. We have this in sports or things that we love from our own activities to our kids and our hobbies to what are we celebrating today? Super Bowl. Most of you, I bet, will probably watch the Super Bowl, right? Some of you? you? Any of you, like me, you're scared to root for Stafford for what might happen? It's our fault. We're all worried about that. We take blame for Detroit being so horrible. I just want to absolve all of us of it. It's not our fault. This is just how we are. But we all have rhythms and seasons. And so what I want to propose to you is, do you think God intended the winter to be a bad season that we just endure and have disdain for? He didn't. And yet, I, if you're like me, I complain about it. I'm pretty good through December, and January's not too bad, but man, we start to hit February, and it's like, you've got to be kidding me. And then you get a little peek on it, like, okay, I don't know, has anybody been complaining that's been much colder? Like, I, have, I don't think I've ever whined like I do this year. I saw cold, my face is cold. I'm putting on two coats. Why am I putting on two coats? What happened? I'm, why is this so miserable? Why am I here? And then it gets to be like 34, like, oh, there's some hope. Maybe it'll be, and then it comes back down. You're like, oh, no, it's all back again. What am I going to do? I mean, we just, we're, we're back and forth because of the misery that we perceive in the winter. Any of you go to work and it's dark and you come home and it's dark? Most of us do, at least for part of this time. You're like, oh, my goodness, is there ever sunlight? And we start to kind of get down and bummed, like, I have to endure this. What might God have us do in the rhythm of winter to embrace and engage in it differently? 
And I want to be clear, over these three weeks, we're going to look today at how we can embrace and engage in winter together as communal ways, that what God wants to do in a relationship. Next week, we're going to look specifically of how even in the winter, and maybe even more so in the winter, as we focus on relationships, for those who are married, how do I engage in married life in a way that centers on who God is and that's fun and wonderful and amazing? And I'll just tell you, if you're not married, if you're divorced, if you're widowed, those things still matter because they point to things of how we relate to each other in Christ, and they give us image of who God is. It's not yes or no. And then the third week, we're going to look at singleness. Because quite honestly, lots of us here are single too in lots of ways. And guess what? It's not married and single. It's married and single. So we're going to ask in the winter of life, how do we engage at a communal level in marriage and in singleness? That's where we're going in these three weeks. And I want to just give you a few ideas to help you in community in this wonderful beauty and the uniqueness of, uh, of how we can engage in enjoying winter. Sorry, I just uh, untied my shoe. I don't know how I do that. Somehow I step on it just the right way, you know? Sorry, just thought I'd share that for no extra charge. So this is a, it's a, just a wonderful picture of a, of a little living room, a fireplace that says friends and family gather here. There is a Danish practice, Norwegian or Danish, it has its derivations in both, called huga. And it's actually become quite, uh, I guess you should say, been something that people have been exploring a lot more in the States because here's the simple thing of it. People in the Norwegian and Danish area love the winter. And it's just like ours. And you go, what do they do differently? What have they embraced? What have they found in rhythms that God might invite us to do? And I will tell you, they're very simple things that as Christians are for us. You know what they do? The, the word huga, by the way, means comfort or coziness. They prioritize things that are fun and cozy together. If it's darker out, they spend more time together inside. They spend more time in community and connection talking about big and little issues. They enjoy the coziness of a fire and having candles and having wine and cheese and having pizza and having whatever you want to say, but just connecting together. They've said in the wintertime what we build up are relationships. Does that sound like maybe it would be a good thing for us? What if you and I began to take on the winter and say, you know what? I want this to be a season I build into relationships. Everything runs so hard and so fast all the time. What if you and I took this season and said, let's embrace it instead of enduring it? What if you and I said, oh, guess what? God made all the seasons and winter's not something just to live through. It's something to thrive in. Can you picture with me what God might want to do to build that for us? What might it be for you and I to actually say, hey, I'm going to build my home a little differently in this season. I'm going to find ways to connect with those that are around me and that I love. And we would say, as a church, we build into this season. So, so let me just remind you of even our own communal processes that we want you to be engaged with each other in groups, not just alone. And we go, God's made us for community. We're the sacred assembly. Something happens when we're together that God moves in. He's going, I want you to do this. You know how we do it? So we do a, we do a fall season of groups. We start in the fall and go in towards a little before Christmas, and we do one in the winter. It starts actually this week. Today, we get going, and it goes in through the spring, and then we have a summer season of it. So we have three seasons. We say, hey, you can engage in community differently. And we want you to do that. For some of you, maybe it will just be a step at home, but for many of you, step out and be together in this. And maybe some of you here today, you're going, you know what? I'm a loner. I'm an introvert. I'm an introvert. I don't really like to be with people. I recharge alone. I go, I'm not doubting that you do recharge alone. 
but you still need community. You just maybe don't need as many. You don't need a group of 30. Maybe you need a group of four or five, but you need community. Because even alone, God has something for us, and he wants us to be together. He made us to be together. He didn't call it the sacred aloneness. He called it the sacred assembly. Maybe for some of you, it's been painful. You've tried this before, and you're like, I don't want to do this again. It didn't go so well. I go, man, take a jump. Take a risk. Guess what? You're not doing it for your life. You can step out again. Maybe for some of you, stepping in community is just frightening. I don't know what's coming. I don't know what it will be like. But if you don't jump out, you'll never find out. And God made us for these rhythms of connection and life and joy together. Maybe for some of you, you're going, I don't have time. You've got to be kidding me. Because you know what? I live in a world where I've been given everything and I have lots of extra resources and I do all sorts of other things. I'm just too busy. And I want you just to hear one story from one couple at our church that had some of those struggles and some of that journey and hear what they had to say. This is Morgan and Nathan. And hear a bit of their story entering into group life. I'm Morgan, and this is Nathan. We're the Glottfelties. We have two kids, Escher's four and a half, and Annalise is two and a half. And we've been going to All Shores since about 2016 when we moved here from Pennsylvania. We, uh, we tried group uh, once before we lived in Pennsylvania. Um, it ended up that we were sort of the older people in the group and there were some you know, folks that I went to high school with and we didn't really fit in, I think. Uh, and so once we moved here to, uh, to All Shores, uh, we had an opportunity to lead a group and then started having kids shortly thereafter and then had to kind of reel back because life got real busy. <laughs> So we had our kids relatively close together, two years apart, and we both work full time. And between kids and work and everything else, we were just starting to kind of drown in it all. The schedules and managing meals and even getting to church was difficult at times to figure out like the right time to go between naps and getting everybody ready and out of the house. And we just had pulled back a lot. And I think our spiritual life had kind of fallen behind a lot of other priorities. And a couple years in, about the time our son was turning four, it just felt like we needed a fresh start and especially in our spiritual lives, we needed a fresh breath of air in that. And so we started to pray as a family about what to do next. And to be honest, the last thing I wanted to do was join a group. I was ready and willing to do basically anything except that. Yeah, as we talked as a, a, as a family about joining a group, there are a lot of things to consider. I mean, I, I actually really like to meet new people, um, so that wasn't so much the concern for me. It was more, you know, is it is it going to be worth our time? Um, is it going to be worth the investment that we put in uh, to, to do this? Because it takes a lot of logistics to figure out childcare and um, making sure that we have those times of our, of our schedule free. Um, and I was also a little bit worried about fitting in, you know, um, although I like to meet new people, are these the type of people that uh, I'm going to fit in and be comfortable around and be able to grow with? So I had gotten up the courage, we got the family in the car and we showed up on the first night and we got a curveball on the first night already where <laughs> because of the size of the group, um, it was decided that we would split in to women and men and we would meet separately on two different nights and I remember looking at you that night and saying nope <laughs> that's not what I signed up for like I agreed to do this with you as a family 
Um, and you know, I tried to use all the excuses of the logistics of figuring out two nights and all of that, but God really just gave me the prompting and the courage to jump in, and I am so grateful that he did. Um, I didn't really realize at the time how much I needed other women to walk through life with at this point. And that was so powerful to hear like in other women's stories when they would share parts of my own and to know that I was not alone. For, for me, in addition to all of the benefits that our family received um, from us having this time alone with you know, others and, and in the Word, um, I found that I had new tools um, that I could bring to conversations with other guys that I saw clearly struggling with some of the things we wrestled with in group. Um, and it just felt really great to be able to share that with others, uh, other men that are, are going through this same struggle and, uh, and be there with them in that moment with some tools that were biblically based. Um, and uh, you could see had a meaningful impact on them as, as we were talking through it. I mean, I was that person that was totally nervous about group. And the thing I would say to me at that point or anyone who's experiencing that is that it is just, it's not a lifelong commitment that you can try and see what it does and see how it changes your life. And the other thing I would say is we did a lot of years of coming to church, slipping in, slipping out. We came here for lots of years without really knowing many people. We didn't have a lot of relationships in church. And I just don't think that that's what church is meant to be. That it is meant to be something we do together as a community. And a group is a great way to do that. I love Morgan's honesty. Uh, the last thing I wanted was to be in a group. Just honest. You know what? A lot of us go, I don't, I don't know if I want more. I just want to kind of get through the struggle in the winter. And I loved, I just didn't know what I needed that these other women brought to my life. And then even Nathan saying, you know, I, I not only was impacted by the things we talked about together, but it helped me with other people. Like, it gave beyond who I was in this moment. In case you don't know, much of what's written to the early church after the rise, resurrection of Jesus and the beginning of the life of the church, over and over again, they're called one another's. It's like love one another, care for one another, watch over one another, admonish one another. Everything is about how we relate to each other. In fact, Paul, when he writes to the church in Rome, says this towards the end of the letter about the power of it. He says, may the God of steadfastness and encouragement. Now, even before I go on to the rest of it, why would you need a God who's steadfast and encouraging? Because life can be really hard sometimes. Some of you right now in winter, it's not just winter outside, it's winter inside. You know what? It's lonely. Right now maybe it's winter because you've been through a series of losses, maybe in your job, maybe in relationships, maybe an actual passing of someone, maybe something's broken. That we all live in places of weariness and difficulty. And let's be honest, the last couple of years have been hard on all of us. I feel like we should be giving medals and gold stars to people just for making it through. And God's a God who brings steadfastness and encouragement. Like, it's who he is. And then he continues from there. Live in such harmony with each other in accordance with Christ Jesus. Remember, we talked about the sacred assembly, that you live in harmony. There's a sense of when we come together, something unique happens that's comforting and encouraging. Like singing together, it brings a better tune. 
that you may live and may, grow, may basically with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, when we live in community, it brings about such a message to both us and the world around us that it's profound that people see who God is by how we live and love each other. You can't do that alone. And then he gives the final picture, welcome one another. Therefore, as Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. There's an atmosphere of inviting and including and engaging each other. God always calls us to. And if you're with us today and you'd say, I'm not a follower of Jesus, I have lots of doubts, I go, don't wait to figure those out. The place you get to work through them is in community. We want people in and among us who have questions and doubts and skepticisms. That's also part of the life of the church, welcoming each other in to belong even before you've settled through issues of belief. I want to say it very simply to you this way. Let's embrace winter together. That we're called to be community. It may be as simple as you reach your home and build your home differently, that you begin to take advantage of the times you have, but all of us who follow Jesus should be moving towards community together, and this is our season for it. If you want to sign up today, you just go to allshores.org groups. If you can't find one or you have other people who go, boy, I'd really like to put one together, you can just email us at groups at allshores.org and we'll help with those next steps or places you're stuck. But we long to help you enjoy the season of winter and embrace it and do it together. Let me pray for us. Lord, I ask for each person here. You know, I asked at the beginning that whatever's not from you will fall to the ground. But if this is from you and what you have for us, I pray you'll even be prompting people, step out now. Don't wait make a move. And I pray, Lord, for all of us that we would increasingly become embracing of the season of winter and the disdain would melt away, that we would discover what you have for us in every season. I ask this blessing in the name and power of Jesus. Amen.